and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin, and not to be dissuaded by a bunch of thieving bastards, Mr. Shane Reeves. <laughs> it sounds a little bit different to me this week, so I'm, I'll be interested to hear it play back and find out what it's like on the other end. It's true, and it's funny. On the flight back home from Italy, I was thinking about how I was going to intro the show this week about using a little bit of Italian in the intro, and then... I got home and I got back to my car and found all of our recording podcasts or our recording equipment had been stolen while I was gone and uh, kind of forgot that that's what I was going to do this week. So, well, I've, I've done the intro in Spanish before, so it wouldn't be that far off to do it in Italian. That's, I am so excited. I'm going to jump right into mine. Um, Las Calaveras is out. So I, I am so excited. The first time the Las Calaveras came out back in 2014, I, they, they, really, they really set the industry alight with the cult following that they were able to gain almost immediately. And so I was a, I was a fan, but I wasn't blown away. 2015 comes out. Everyone pretty much hates it. I actually liked it better than the year before. So I guess what I'm saying is that I have t- terrible taste. Uh, 16 and 17 are both very, very good. So here it is, the 18, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they did this year. Well, I got into the shop today just as Austin was unpacking, and I thought, well, I know what Trey will be smoking on the podcast tonight. Yeah, and I actually I really love the bright, green label that they used this year. It's just a fun a fun and it's Nicaraguan cigar so they resisted the urge to go with orange like they have been for the last couple of years. So the cutter. Yeah. No, I just forgot. I've I've lost my cutter. I still have my lighter. I just can't find my cutter anywhere. No, no, I've had it since I got back. I just can't find it the last two days. No, I've got I've got that. I've got somewhere. Yeah, we're really prepared this week, apparently. <laughs> Actually had no idea that he was doing that. That's awesome. So Yellow Rose Texas, they released the Tennessee Waltz and they also released a Paniolo Especial just for Hawaii in 2015. Yes. And then they released the 
I, I don't know what I did with it. I brought it in. Right. No, I'm on on the first light. It's really good. It's really rich. But yeah, that that yellow rose is just such a great all around cigar. I mean, there's really there's really no part of it that I don't like. And it seems like probably the most consistent in terms of construction quality of any. And Crown Heads doesn't have many misses. I very rarely get a bad draw with one of their cigars. But the Yellow Rose, I think, far and above anything else that they do, has tremendous track record with construction. Yeah, no, I completely, uh, completely agree with that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it would have to be its own show for me to tell you. Uh, you know, it was, it was incredible. In particular, Venice. I fell in love with the idea of Venice, Italy when I was a kid. You know, the city built on water, and it didn't disappoint. You know, they say, don't meet your heroes. And I was kind of expecting that with Venice a little bit. I figured I'd get there, it'd be dirty, it'd be smelly. It was not any of those things. Didn't have very good Wi-Fi, I will say that. But... Uh, it was just a, an amazing city, and I, I will say, to uh, uh, as as another recognition to Nate McIntyre, the Toscano cigars. I, I've had them here, you know, and I knew I enjoyed them, but there was something about smoking them over there. First of all, they are half the price in Italy as they are here. A five pack will run you about twenty one bucks in your local brick and mortar store, nine euros for a five pack. About eleven bucks. Well, it's also the fact that they have price fixing. So, tobacco is is a state-owned monopoly in Italy. So you can only sell tobacco products if you have a particular tobacco license, kind of like here. But those shops, that's all they sell, and so. They don't take cards or cash only, and they were, they're were they a state-owned monopoly that was originally those stamps were given out to people who were a little more on the destitute side as a means for earning an income to be able to make a living. So it was kind of a, a social welfare thing to begin with, but everything is price-fixed by the government, and I think that has a lot to do with it as well. I saw a few guys smoking some cigars that weren't Toscanos, but I didn't see any in any shops. But I didn't get to any cigar shops. I was mostly just going into the... Because that's the other thing about Italy. Now, there is a smoking ban indoors everywhere in the entire country. You cannot smoke indoors in Italy. 
but the weather's so nice that you don't need to. But there's also it's also a very tobacco friendly country, and so there were tobacco shops on every corner. No, you, it was it was it was much the opposite. Everyone smokes. Everyone smokes in Italy. Mostly cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. A lot of hand-rolled cigarettes. There were a lot of people rolling their own cigarettes, I noticed. Well, yeah, that was one of the things that really I found interesting when I was in Rome is we went and saw the Trevi Fountain. And the Trevi Fountain is the most modern thing in the city of Rome, like in terms of the tourist attractions. And it's still older than our country. Absolutely, absolutely. So will I. Yeah. Well, which is kind of what started this whole thing, because the riots and everything started, what, about two months ago down there when all of this really first started to come to a head? So, I mean, that's kind of been the crux of this whole thing. Yeah, but I can see how it seems more like it's a state. You're affecting the state when you affect commerce because you affect taxes. Which we all kind of knew was coming. Right. No, I I really don't either. Yeah, and it, we talked a couple of weeks ago as well about in Canada the plain boxes. You know the it, like it doesn't whether it's got a Surgeon General's or, or whether it just says Cuban cigar product number twelve. We're gonna smoke our cigars. That's not that's not doing anything for anybody. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem to be. No matter no matter how much evidence to the contrary, people still keep banging this drum. Yeah. It's one golden idol rather than a bag of jewels, and that's actually about the third scene because you forget that. It, but yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I mean I'm just saying it's it's worth it for accuracy I had an experience with this just this week actually so yes I completely agree <laughs> what, does she just move it in the fridge with the rest of them? Is that what she's doing? What? <laughs> so it's going to ripen in about 43 seconds. Just put it on a giant pedestal that will attack anyone who dares mess with it. I like it. Just to see how fast he can run. It was granite. <laughs> uh, two, two and a half tons. No, absolutely. So not only did they have to carve this massive, perfectly round boulder, but they also had to get the floor in just straight enough that you didn't have to worry about it going wonky one side to the other. Right. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Light on the poison. Just just enough to make you have a quick nap. <laughs> Fool me twice, shame on me, kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm watching it. Okay, well, good. I was just wondering if you had any 
Yeah, we should have. We should probably should have. God bless it. Should have taken a cue when we lit up the second cigar, but we just rolled with it. Excellent. Where are you guys headed? It sounds like the day that you would, if, if you were in charge of creating the perfect day, I think that's what it would be. That's where you smoked the cigar on the hammock, wasn't it? Oh, okay. And that's not a euphemism. <laughs> it's, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember last year's. Because this, if I recall correctly, is very, very similar. It's a little on the spicy side, but not so much you notice. Lots of really rich flavors. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. It's burning slow. It's burning cool. Uh, it, it's it's not anything special yet, but it's it it reminds me of a Las Calaveras. Yeah, yeah, I I. I can see what you're talking about there. Oh, that would be a lot of fun. Okay. I, I liked last year's. Last year's was my favorite that they've ever made. Oh, that'll be... F- I can't wait to hear. Yeah, no, it absolutely is.
That's uh, I, I want to know where he was going or coming from in that thing. That's a good point. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of hands in that pot, but it in a way that'll make it really local to the area, and it sounds really interesting. Yeah, I can't tell you the last time. That's not bad at all. But you're doing that with American labor costs, which are way more than double what they are in Nicaragua, Honduras, wherever. So to be that close to one of their mainline price points is pretty impressive. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I can... Yeah, but I can understand the, the tongue-in-cheek nature of what they were trying to do there. Are they, when are they supposed to release? Oh, okay. So you get them from there. Right. That's more successful than some of the first episodes of the show. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm a professional. Look it up in the book. Men just call me sir. So I've got to say, this Las Calaveras, just the extra half inch that I've smoked over the break, I'm really enjoying it. There's a little bit of a citrus 
kind of note to it. A little little acidic kind of spiciness that that I'm getting in the second half of the cigar that's really changing my opinion on it, and I'm really liking it. Yeah, well, that's about a, a year ago when I stopped drinking. I noticed the same thing, is that my palate really, really changed when I stopped including all those those bitter flavors from all the beer in my diet. It it affected the rest of it as well. I have the uh, Jim Croce's greatest hits on my phone, and I listen to it way more often than I should admit to. Yeah, it's, well, there, there. It really might as well be. I mean, you've got Bad Bad Leroy Brown, and uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Not Constantinople? <laughs> oh, wow. Does it say where he was working for DuPont? Interesting. Yeah, because there's a the town that I grew up on grew up in actually has a, a du- Dupont factory and it's still in operation today. So I wonder if that uh, a little local thing for me. That's cool. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me actually because that's when. I mean, that's the cigar boom, first of all, but it's also what I think of, what a lot of people think of when they think of CAO, is that that flavor series really, I mean, yeah, it put them on the map. Yeah. Yeah, it, right. So it all comes full circle. <laughs> that is pretty neat. No, but anyone who's who's started to get into the hobby of, of smoking a pipe, you know that 
one of the first tricks you learn is is how to load the pipe, and there's a couple of different methods. One of them they call the campfire method, which is where you pack a little bit in the bottom, you get tamp it all the way down, then you put a little more on top, and you do it in stages. So taking that approach, if you think about a campfire, how much work goes into keeping a campfire strongly lit, you have to really take that approach with the pipe as well, making sure that it can handle the heat, that you can evenly distribute that heat, not just through the body of the pipe, but also so that the tobacco stays lit. You've got to make the draw hole in just the right position in the bottom of the bowl so that it pulls the air down evenly so that you don't end up with hot sides and cold sides. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Right. You know, I really love smoking my pipe. I really do. The, the problem, though, is that I do it so infrequently that I haven't gotten the skill set developed that I n- need to to be able to do it consistently and enjoy it as much as I know I would. Oh, yeah. And, and in fact, I can, too. The problem is I'm relighting it every 30 seconds because that's the struggle for me with a pipe is being able to keep the thing lit. I can use that. That Julius will work on on. You've got to turn it up a little bit, but I can use that Julius on my on my lighter on my pipe. Match, matches are still my preference as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't realize that he was still living here. Exactly. Which is so funny because I've been saying for years when people ask me about Cuban cigars is the fact that Cuba's really been experiencing a drought for the last maybe decade that has really affected their crops and is why you don't see as many big ring gauge cigars coming out of Cuba is because they don't have the leaves big enough to make them. So it's kind of interesting to see this almost flood level rains which is just, you know, that wild swing from one extreme to the other, further causing problems with their crops. It's dirt. Yeah, why why would you put concrete in the floor of a barn? Yeah.
No, I, I'm not either. There's only one Cuban cigar that I like as much or more than anything I can get here, and that's the Boulevard Torpedo. And that cigar is phenomenal. And, I mean, you're going to pay 20 bucks for it, for a real one. That cigar is what I think of when I think of a Cuban cigar with reverence. Like, when I really think of a good Cuban cigar, that's the one I think of. I've, that being said, I've had a number of others. I've had some H. Upmans. I've had a Cohiba. I've had, well, I've had a couple of Cohiba Bahikes and uh, a couple of others. And they never, they just never do it for me. A couple of Monte Cristos I've had before. Like, they never, I, I would almost always rather have something that I can get here and pay less than half for it. Plus, the, you know, the American people travel so well, especially into Central South America and, and Southern North America, that it really kind of saturates the market of consumers such that if you live there, you, the American tourists are going to price you out of what you could otherwise buy those Cuban cigars for. Because they know they can charge a premium for it because the Americans are going to pay extra because they can't get it at home. Exactly. All right. Oh, that's pretty cool. Not bad. Right. So now, did he did he start in kind of the regional era and then make it up through WWF or? Okay. Oh, really? That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. 
Oh, really? So is I haven't heard of the Hoboken tobacco. Is that a local shop? Is it kind of a shop exclusive? Is that where this is coming from? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, is, did you fall in love with wrestling because of your dad? Like, is that something that you guys share? Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's it's far more entertainment than sport as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's one of those things. I was reading an article recently. Uh, I don't remember. In, in Runner's World, I think it was. And they were talking about the difference between how some people consider some sports sports and others aren't. And, you know, oh, no, it was the in-flight magazine for for British Airways that I was reading, and they were talking about how NASCAR is not a sport. Or they were talking about how NASCAR is a sport, but the common myth is that it's not. And it, the, they kind of define the difference between a sporting event and athleticism. And you don't have to be an athlete to participate in a sport, and you don't have to um, participate in a sport to be an athlete. And that's kind of how I feel about wrestling. Like, these guys are definitely athletes. They will work your butt around a ring, they're very fit. They're very active. They're definitely athletic. But the scenario in which they perform their athleticism is much more of a show and entertainment than it is uh, sporting feats of Victor and... Uh, I think it falls in the, the Webster's Dictionary definition of sport because it's a, a competition... But I, I don't think of it in the same way I think of other sports. Yeah. And I, and I apologize. You said bodybuilding. My head went to weightlifting. But... Right. Well, but so because what I was going to clarify is I think I think by definition, if you're in the Olympics, it's a sport. If your sport is in the Olympics, you're it's definitely a sport. Bodybuilding, uh, the ones where they do all of the weightlifting ahead of time and then they just pose. And so I, I don't I don't think that's a sport.
I absolutely think that's a sport. Absolutely. No, there's so much more to it than that, though. The, no, the, the main component is actually the helmsman. I mean, the, the fact that you're going, you know, 80 miles an hour down an ice track and you're keeping this thing true and narrow and it's a game of milliseconds. The, the mental acuity, the physical uh, athleticism that's required is, is pretty incredible. I mean, you may disagree with me, but I, I think if you're going to think, I think if auto racing is a sport, then bobsledding has to be. Certainly. Right. I think so. Right, but I think certain types of shooting, I mean, standing at a range and and a static paper target, you know, 10 feet in front of you, I don't know that that's a sport necessarily, but skeet and trap, I mean, you're talking fast twitch reflexes, hand-eye coordination, you've got to have a certain amount of stamina and, you know, physical acumen there. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's some sportiness in those things. Biathlon absolutely is a sport. Uh, I think that probably is the most difficult sport in the Olympics, summer or winter. Yeah, and some of these guys are hit going five for five, and they're skiing, you know, five kilometers up and down hills in between each round. I mean, it's it's very impressive what they're able to accomplish. Yeah. I don't know who that is. A a bowler? Oh. Right, that's exactly right. Venice, just just Venice uh, was probably, you know, like I said, I I fell in love with it as a kid, and it didn't disappoint. And I walked into St. Mark's Square, which is the famous, you know, square of the city that's right on the Mediterranean, and you've got the palace on one side, and you've got the basilica on the other. Uh, Basilica of St. Mark's, and it's just, it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life, and probably, we didn't, so the gondolas are a little bit of, a little bit hackneyed at this point, Uh, so I would have loved to, just to say say I did it, but it's 80 euro, so it's about 90 bucks, 94 bucks, for half an hour, 
So it and and they don't really use it for travel like they it's it's more of a sightseeing tour and it's just not I mean the the locals don't use them it it it's just for the sake of tourists at this point and one of the things I found so funny is you know there there's actually laws on the books in Venice about how they can look and what they can be and what they, you know they're all painted the same shade of black and um, they all looked so much they all looked very Chinese in in the in, in the style in which they're decorated black lacquer with you know brass fittings and a lot of uh, crushed velour seating and stuff like that. it it looked like the waiting room of a Chinese restaurant more than it looked like Italian style to me which I, I just found that kind of interesting I didn't hear any singing Yeah. Well, my brother-in-law probably would have been the one singing if we had done it. He's a singer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It, it's really cool. We went first. We went on a tour in Rome. Rome was the only city that we actually did a planned tour. And so it, it started that morning at the Colosseum. But we went the night before when we were walking around town just kind of exploring on our own, and we got to see it lit up at night. And that was really, really cool. The, the thing that impressed me most about the Colosseum is that it's, it's still, like, if it weren't for the fact that it was a ruin, you wouldn't know that it wasn't a modern stadium. I mean, it held 80,000 people. It it uses the same technology that we still use to this day to build athletic stadiums. The the arches, the stadium seating, and the, the floor of the Coliseum actually was not really the floor. They had an entire sub-network of rooms and tunnels and things. So And they had elevators. So all the livestock and the gladiators, everybody, they would move around under the floor of the Coliseum and then be lifted up onto the onto the arena platform and the the it was basically just a wood platform over this network of of tunnels and rooms and and corridors and then it was completely covered with sand and what i found kind of interesting and it makes perfect sense you think about sand as being kind of a, a level playing field because you can't quite get a good footing but it's still uh, solid enough that it kind of creates a, a level playing field for different levels of athleticism, if that makes sense. But the, the reason they did it was just to soak up all the blood. Yeah, they were actually setting up a stage uh, while we were there. I don't know what for, but I do think they use it for, for some things. I think it's kind of like... Uh, almost like Red Rock in Colorado where they kind of, it's more of a, a it's more of a, an attraction, but they occasionally will break it out for something like that. Well, they don't use it for anything like that. They definitely, um, because you can see the, the floor is now removed. And so you can actually see down into the center, into the, the leftovers of the tunnels. And that's one of the things that's, the, the other thing that was really cool is, they 
the Romans, when they got tired of something, they didn't tear it down and build something in its place. They just filled it in with dirt and then built on top of it. What makes that really interesting is that they're currently in the process of expanding their subway line. So they've got basically just a north-south and an east and west. They've got two lines. They're adding a, 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 third, a third line. And the progress is really, really slow because they dig a few feet and then they find this priceless artifact and they have to stop and dig it out and figure... And then they get, okay, and then they dig a few more feet and another priceless artifact. Like, there was... When they were originally building the Metro, they found this huge bronze pineapple or pine cone. Just, I mean, 20 feet tall. This bronze statue. And they just found it underground. <laughs> it's at the Vatican now, but it was just really neat to know that they somewhat preserved their own history just through the nature of the fact that, oh, we'll just build on top of it. Uh, Toscanos. Yeah. No, it's not. Uh, Toronto is general. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, yeah, it, no, I, that was all I smoked. I, I could have ventured out and, and sought out some, because, I, like I said, I saw a few guys smoking some more American-style cigars, I guess, for lack of a better term. But I never, it was just so easy to nip down the shop and, and grab some of those cheroots. It didn't say anything. No, no one playing games. Of course, we were mostly in the cities. So, it, I mean, Bologna is a college town. And so there is mostly college kids. So one of the things that I found so interesting is that because we were on the square, um, the Basilica San Pietro is right there on the square. It's the sixth largest church in the world. And so it's got these huge steps out front. And till all hours of the night, people just go and they sit on the steps. And they sit on the steps all night. Like, they're, they're not drinking wine, they're not eating, they're all just kind of chilling and hanging out. And I think it's, it, they're mostly younger kids because it is a college town, so I guess it's just what you do. But it was, you know, everything is just so so laid back. One of, the, one of the questions we couldn't quite figure out the answer to is, like, what everyone does for a living. Like, obviously, you've got a lot of servers and a lot of restaurants and those local shops, but, like, you know, just general business like I, there were no high rise office buildings there were no um you know everyone goes to work like i would get i got up at 6am every morning and i would either go out for a run or just go walk around town and no one was up i mean you had the guys making their deliveries you know cuz they're delivering the cured meats and the produce and the fish every morning fresh those guys at 6am were still out now here if you're not done with those types of deliveries by 5.30 in the U.S., you're, you're late. But they would start unloading the trucks about 6 o'clock. People don't go to breakfast until about 9. Was it pretty modern or did you feel like it was a little less modern? 
No, it was fairly it was fairly modern, especially Bologna, because again, it's a college town, and so we were very well connected from a Wi-Fi standpoint. We were able to pretty much everywhere we went able to get Wi-Fi connection and, and stay connected because our phones stayed in airplane mode the whole time we were there because we didn't have the international calling plan and stuff like that. So we were able to still communicate back here. It was it was seven hours ahead, so it took a little bit of skill to kind of navigate that. But Oh, that was a brioche. So the, the typical Italian breakfast is a shot of espresso or a cappuccino and just a pastry. And so that was, it was basically the Italian equivalent of a chocolate croissant. It was very good. Yeah, the only, there were a couple of chains, but those were usually, usually the only place you found those was in the train stations or in the airport. For the most part, if you get out of those types of areas, it was either McDonald's or mom and pop shops. Yeah. Tennessee Waltz. <laughs> I was, no, I, I, we landed, we got in about six, by the time we cleared customs, we landed about 5.15. By the time we cleared customs, it was about an hour later. Because British Airways does a direct flight from Nashville to Heathrow now. And so that was the route we took. And so we cleared customs in Nashville and my sister and brother-in-law's car was parked in East Nashville. So I went over to Smoker's Abbey because I was just two miles away and I had a Tennessee Waltz. I really did. It definitely was. Yeah. I've got to say, I do love to travel, but the, the thing for me is, is I, I don't idle well. You know, like I, I ran 13 miles over the course of the time that I was over there. I, I don't sit idle, especially in a country that wakes up late and stays up late. That's really not me. I'd rather get up early and go to bed late. And so, you know, by the end of it, I was ready to come home, but I can't. That, like, there's no substitution for anything I saw or experienced while I was there. It is a once in a lifetime trip. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm still recovering. I mean, I I went to bed usually between midnight and one o'clock every every night, and I woke up at six every morning. So I was on four and a half, five hours of sleep the entire time I was there. And we were walking over 10 miles a day. I walked between my runs and just the daily walking over 100 miles in a week. Yeah, so, and, and there's a lot of hills in that region as well. So you're going up stairs and up hills. I mean, we were, we were moving. And so, yeah, you, I definitely, by the time I, and I, by the time I came back, we... When I woke up Tuesday morning to fly back, it was 11 o'clock here. I went to bed at 10 o'clock the next day. So I was up for 23 full hours in the travel to get home. And, yeah, so 
but then I went to bed and, and no jet lag whatsoever. I mean, because I did that, I was able to get just a proper night's sleep on the right time, and I popped up and went right back to work the next day. Please, uh, absolutely do. You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast or Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast. And I do want to say, uh, if you get a second, pop on over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you find us, and give us a rating and a review. It really helps the iTunes algorithm kind of help push us up in the rankings, help other people find us. So if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Well, everyone have a great week. Go somewhere inside and have a great cigar and think about us.